Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Hello, 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 and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about all things romance landia. And we are reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> if you are like, who is this person on on my radio or whatever form of listening device you have? I am Jess. And I am Trisha, and I'm so glad to have you back doing the intro, as I'm sure everyone else is as well. <laughs> well, we are recording on Thursday, September 14th. Our, uh, we're back to our usual th- Thursday schedule, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, and it has been. It's been probably close to two months since you and I have talked, Jess, but uh, we're going we're gonna to spend most of the episode getting caught up on things that we missed or things we've been doing and things we've been reading, and... Uh, I'm excited to be. It was. It's always fun to get to talk with Jen or Liberty or whoever pops onto the podcast. But mm-hmm. it is delightful to get to reconnect with you as well. It is. I'm so glad that we're back together. <laughs> well, we were apart for so long that you actually had to announce our next book club book without me, and then I announced it again without you. Mm-hmm. And for folks who are, I think we're actually doing it next episode. So for folks yes. who have. <laughs> been boycotting the show since um, Jess and I have not been together. It it will help (laughs) you to know that The Perfect Find by Tia Williams is both our next book club book and I shouldn't say our next adaptation book because we're going to talk about an adaptation in like 10 minutes, but uh, it's also an adaptation book. So the film of The the Perfect Find is, I think, on Amazon? Netflix? Amazon? It's on Netflix? Nope. Yeah, Amaflix... Mflix. It's on streaming. It's on streaming. <laughs> Just Google it. You'll be able to find it, I'm sure. And we are going to talk about it in two weeks. So we'll probably record on the 28th of September. And then that episode will come out on October 2nd. So The Perfect Find by Tia Williams. Get excited. Get excited. And speaking of books to get excited about, Jess, I think uh, you've been bursting with excitement about one that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. I have been. So... A couple of weeks ago, the glorious Courtney Milan announced that she has a new book coming out. It's a book in the same family as The Duke Who Didn't, so you know how much I loved that book, and Trisha did not as much as I did. Um, which it was fine. I will forgive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. And the day that we are recording, Thursday, September 14th, she released the cover and I was on my computer, walking on my standing, walking at my standing desk and I literally screeched. This cover is amazing. And I am looking forward to getting my print copy eventually because now that I have the first one in print, I have to keep going. Well, sure. (laughs) And... uh, 
I forgot to actually say the title of the book is The Marquis Who Mustn't, I'm pretty sure. And it is set in that same town as The Duke Who Didn't, which I am completely blanking on, but you all know what I'm talking about. Um, and it is going to be releasing in early October, so we don't have very long to wait for that. I might have to wait longer if she decides to hold off on the, releasing the, the print one. But maybe I'll just buy it in digital, too. I mean, you know, you do what you have to do. Yeah. It's currently currently listed as uh, $4.99 on Kindle. So if you got to do both, hopefully it won't be too burdensome. Yeah. I will. It's on Goodreads. I'm guessing it's also on Amazon. I'll link to it in the show notes so that everyone can pre-order and have a fun gift for themselves mm-hmm. in like a month. That's the best. Mm-hmm. We're not talking yet. We're going to talk later about what we've been reading because it's been so long we wouldn't have been able to get through it in five or six minutes like we sometimes do. So (laughs) we're bumping that to later in the conversation. But you did a brilliant job, I thought, when you talked with Liberty about covering the weird Kraken hockey romance boundaries situation. And I don't have anything to add to the way that you talked about it. The one thing that I would say about the situation generally is that I don't, and I don't think you got too much into this, Jess, but Mm -hmm. a little bit. I was very bummed out by a lot of the coverage Mm. of what had happened. Like, and not just the fact that a lot of blame seemed to get placed on the social media folks who did definitely overstep a lot of boundaries, right? Because that certainly Mm -hmm. is true. But there was, I felt like, an outsized amount of focus and blame put on those people and Mm -hmm. not necessarily enough conversation about the fact that the Kraken organization had encouraged some of this discussion and engaged in it in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that sort of frustrated me a lot was the tone of some of the articles that I read. Like, the tone of it felt very much like people were kind of taking joy in the ability to say like, oh, those romance readers, what Mm -hmm. a bunch of weirdos, or like what a bunch of children, or like what a lack of maturity or whatever. And I I think when we see coverage of romance getting better, right, we see, you know, an actual legitimate great column in the New York Times and writers in Entertainment Weekly and Washington Post and all over the place who are now covering romance like an actual – genre that it is and deserves Mm -hmm. to be covered, I think I had sort of started to maybe get a little more optimistic than I should have about the coverage of romance readers as well. Mm. And I was a little bummed out by the fact that I think, again, people sort of took this as an opportunity to punch down a little bit on the romance reader community broadly. Yeah. When I don't think that would have happened the same way I mean, I don't know what the, like, equivalent mystery writer <laughs> situation would have been, right? That would have been, like, yeah. yeah. I, we probably shouldn't – I don't want to, like, talk too much about murder and accidentally get myself arrested. So we won't wander too far down that road. But, like, mm-hmm. I just – I don't think it would have happened the same way if it had been a different kind of fan community. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. That was – it just kind of – the whole situation was a problem and I don't know – I think – to some extent, it was well handled. To other extent, it was, you know, there, many mistakes were made all around. Yeah. But just the coverage of it, I think I thought we had progressed a little bit beyond some of the tone that I saw in that. And it mm-hmm. kind of just disappointed me that I feel like we have not. I was overly optimistic. 
Yeah. And honestly, like, even I realized maybe like 45 minutes after Liberty and I finished recording that I hadn't put very much focus on the Kraken organization really enabling people, especially the the person that we talked about. And I think that that is a key element that, like you said, was really downplayed. Um, and I contributed to that in a little bit. So yeah, like, I think we, we all need to, and, you know, we're inside baseball when it comes to like what romance readers are like and who we want to encourage and all of that. So yeah, the sort of external coverage of it was really hit or miss. Like some people had like a very good kind of, I am a journalist and I am going to report the facts. And some people were like, yeah, these weirdos look, look what happens when book talk blows up. So yeah, I totally, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And my, my um observation was not in any way meant to be targeted at you or anyone, like in, in anyone in general, I think. And, and honestly, I probably would have done the exact same thing. It was because when you are, when all of the information that you have about it is sort of targeted in a certain way, it takes, I think, a little bit of distance. And now we have six weeks worth of distance mm-hmm. to be able to observe, like, hang on, this was, to, you know, kind of look at everything in, in mass. So yeah. anyway, maybe 2024 will be the year that yes. romance readers are starting to get get portrayed in a um, more realistic light. So anyway, like I mentioned, we missed a lot of things while we were away. And so we're going to get into those. But I do want to remind everyone... The deep dive is out there if you have not yet subscribed. Book Riot's editorial team is writing for casual and power readers alike over at The Deep Dive. You can find weekly stories that inform and inspire readers, drawn from the collective experience of uh, the Book Riot staff as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, and bookish professionals. Recent stories for free subscribers have included a brief history of chain letters, a BTS look at Book Riot's managing editor, and the anatomy of an Obama summer reading list. Just to be clear, by the way, BTS is not the BTS you're thinking of. BTS <laughs> is behind the scenes. So it is not a K-pop look at Book Riot's managing editor. It's a behind the scenes look. I still think you should subscribe. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. Paid subscribers, <laughs> for what it's worth, get access to exclusive content, probably also not K-pop related, but I don't know for sure, uh, including a mega list of books that our readers think that you should add to your TBR and access to community features, including the ability to comment. So during the month of September, which we are in right now, all new free subscribers will be entered to win Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, plus five mystery books from the deep dive. To enter, all you have to do is start a free subscription to the deep dive. No payment method required. Oh, that is key. So you, you're not going to get like, we're not trying to like hook you in and make you forget that you signed up. So all you have to do is go to bookriot.substack.com. That's bookriot.substack.com. No purchase is necessary to enter and go find out, you know, what non-K-pop related content they have for you. (laughs) Okay. So I have a question that I'm sure a lot of people who listen to various Book Riot podcasts might be wondering when they hear they will be entered to win a copy of Parable of the of the Sower and five mystery books. Are they mystery books or are they just mystery books? Oh, good question. I'm guessing 
It's like not mystery, the genre. I think it's like five surprise books. There we go. I like that. <laughs> surprise Let's books. assume that it's that. We'll <laughs> double check and let you know next time. But for now, enter and assume that you're getting five surprise books, which may or may not be mystery and may or may not be K-pop related. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of surprises in store for everyone at the deep dive. So get excited. <laughs> All right. Speaking of diving deep, we're going to dive deep into the last month or so in just a minute. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right, Jess, we are back. And you weren't just traveling last time we were recording so that um, you weren't available, but you were traveling to a very specific romance-related event. Can you talk a little about it? What were you up to? Absolutely. So on August 17th and 18th, I think, 18th and 19th, sometime in the middle of August... And I have trouble sure. remembering exactly when because I went early to go to Disneyland. Um, we, I and 1,500 of my closest friends went to Anaheim and converged upon the Anaheim Marriott to attend Steamy Lit Con. It, is the f- it was the first one. And I will be honest, I was kind of afraid because I have attended first time outs before. And sometimes they have not been the best, but this was amazing. So if you are familiar with the Steambox, which is a business owned by Melissa Saavedra, um, you might have seen some posting about this on the Steambox's social media. And the Steambox does subscription boxes that usually include at least one romance novels, sometimes with like a special cover or something, and usually some form of erotic pleasure toy or something. I don't know what it always is, but it's something like that. So she and some other people that she works with on Steambox decided that there was a gap in like a real romance con which is true. There is a gap, um, especially with the with RT and Book Lovers Con kind mm-hmm. of going to the wayside. And mm-hmm. especially one that is very, very deliberate about talking about diversity, diversity in all forms. So not just racial mm-hmm. diversity, but talking about queer romance, talking about disability and neurodivergence, talking about all of these things. So they put on this this amazing con and the people at the Anaheim Marriott know how to hold conferences. Like that was key. Um, yeah. And it's going to be there again on August 2nd and 3rd, I think. And it's going to be at that conference center. So Hopefully, it will go similarly well. And this was a different kind of con for me. I'm used to the kind 
where there are panels all the time, but really it was just like two days, two mornings of panels, and then signings all afternoon, and then a big social event in the evenings. Um, so actually they watched Red, White, and Royal Blue at the first night's like pajama party. I went to sleep instead, but, um, sure. <laughs> uh, but so the signings were amazing. I think there were probably about 60 or 70 authors there and mm-hmm. the vibe was great. Everybody was so excited to see each other, authors and attendees, There were so many rolling carts on the signing floor. I had never seen that particular cart in multitude before, so now I need to get one. And the panels themselves were just, like, so amazing. So every author who attended wasn't on a panel, obviously, because there were only, like, three or four every hour, and there were only three a day, I think, or maybe even Mm -hmm. two. So a lot of the communication with authors was during those four hours, two days of signing. That was probably the thing that was a little overwhelming, but I imagine if you were not sitting at a table waiting for people to come to see you, because I went as an author, then it might be all of the time that you need to actually get all of your books signed. Now, my dumb behind took books and bought books there, thinking that I might have time to sneak away to get some signed. And I did. Sure. I did get some signed, but like 10, not like 50. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going as an attendee next year. Uh, <laughs> but Fair. But like, you know, 9.5 stars will go again. <laughs> That's really, so it sounds like it was it sounds reader focused. Yes. Is that correct? Like, I don't, what kinds of panels were there? Like, what kinds of conversations? There were panels that were like for writers. Like, I actually moderated a panel of industry rock stars, they were called, like, okay. Essie Saga and Estelle Halleck, people, mm-hmm. people who are familiar to some of us, um, like, inside people who mm-hmm. were talking about the editing process and the publishing process. Taj McCoy was there as an editor. She was also there as a writer, but on my panels, she was um, not an editor, an agent. Oof, uh-huh. was talking. So um, there were some writer-focused panels, but they also wanted to make sure that they were offering things of interest to readers who really want to get into the nitty-gritty of um, diversity in all its forms. And you said 1,500 people? I I might be overshooting it a little bit. I know that the, like, a week before it started, Melissa Mel announced that there had been, like, 1,200 people who registered. Wow. And then there were all of us authors, and probably about three quarters of us brought assistance. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of people. Yeah, that's it sounds bigger than like RT or Book Lovers Con, although I don't remember now. I don't either. The, I feel like those were like more in the f- five to seven hundred person range. Yeah, probably. Again, it's been long enough now that I don't really remember. But yeah, that's that it's exciting that year one it went so well. Yes. Good for, good for that team. Yeah. And they had they had a few hiccups, but they were ready and they went for it, and everybody had an amazing time. 
now you said you said you're going again, Jess. Are like tickets available already? If someone were to be, they are not. I think they're working on um, inviting authors right now, and then I think the last time tickets were available, like the end, like winter ish, like October, okay. November, December kind of time. And I'm not even going to ask about what kinds of authors were there because if you were there, then obviously it was like the cream of the crop of authors. <laughs> Of course. That's what it sounds like to me. There were so many people there. There were people, you know, whose names were familiar, but I hadn't read any of their books, some of whom I got some mm-hmm. of their books, people I had never actually heard of before. I was walking down the, the main thoroughfare and um, towards the end of the second day, so it was a little lighter um, as far as attendance, and I met this very interesting woman who whose name I don't remember, um, who basically book talked her book and I was like, absolutely, let me buy it from you right now on the spot. Um, and she mm-hmm. came to visit me later. Uh, but I had run out of books, which Aww. was good, but also sad. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, there were, you know, people who had who had to get wristbands for like Kennedy Ryan and Oh, sure. What is her name? You read like all of her books like within three days of each other, like uh, a month ago. Kristen Ashley? No. Oh, Lisa Kleypas? No. Contemporary. Part of your world. Uh, oh, uh, Abby Jimenez. Abby Jimenez. She was directly across from me, so I got to watch everyone just converge on her. It was lovely. But also like Sherelle uh. Green and um, like... Zio Axelrod and Adriana Herrera and Liana De La Rosa and all of these people who are sort of like people. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. There were so many people there, Trisha. So many people. Well, and I will talk in a little while about why it was so hard for me to figure out who you were talking about, even when you said you read all of her books like a month ago, <laughs> because that has been the story of my summer, but we will come back to that. Um, but yes, Abby Jimenez's books were a delight for me over the course of the last few months. So I'm glad that you, I'm glad everyone converged on her in hopefully a comfortable way. Yes, she had, they had to get wristbands. So there were only like eight or nine people at a time. Perfect. Well, see me lick on, I guess, uh, maybe because we have talked about the dearth of romance cons these mm-hmm. days and kind of book events for romance attendees. So maybe uh, a new a new world is taking shape. Yeah. And if you, like me, decided that you were going to go to a polycon next year and logged on 40 seconds after tickets opened and they were gone, this is an alternative for you. Yeah. Yeah, it might. It sounds like a great alternative. Yes. Yes. This is the great alternative. Uh, So that is very exciting. We also, you mentioned Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is probably, gosh, it's the highest profile romance adaptation I can think of, at mm-hmm. least since The Hating Game. But this, to me, this feels even bigger than that. It's definitely bigger than that, like from what I can see. So you didn't watch it with 1,500 people at Steamy LitCon, but you did watch it eventually. Um, I did as well. We have discussed, I've mentioned on the podcast before that I have tried to read this book like four or five times. Mm -hmm. And because it is written in third person present tense, I cannot do it. I just, that particular point of view in tense does not work for me. So I have not read the book, but I did watch the adaptation. Just as someone who has done both, 
What did you think of Red, White, and Royal Blue on Netflix? Uh, no, this one actually is on Amazon Prime. Yeah, this one's on Amazon. As someone who has read the book and who saw the movie, I think that they did well on sort of like condensing what they could down into those two hours or so. It would have made a great miniseries, but yeah, I accept the fact that they decided that it was going to be a movie. Yeah. And I watched it like two days after I had finished season two of Heartstopper. So I'm trying to make sure that I divide my thoughts um, about the two very different types of lovely queerness. And I think that there were some things going in. I was like, so since you're not as familiar with it, Trisha, a lot of the communication in the book is via email. Like the whole uh-huh. thing at the end is that emails get leaked by an enemy of Alex's mother. Well, enemy, mm-hmm. not really an enemy, a political rival. Rival, shall we say. yeah. But so much of the stuff in the movie that happened, happened either talking on the phone or in person. And I was like, how is this going to work? Um, but I think they made mm-hmm. it work well. And I... I'm going to tell all of you listening to this a secret that I definitely haven't been telling everyone that I've talked <gasps> to about this movie. Dun, dun, dun. I enjoyed the movie, but I was really distracted the whole time because I am like the only person in the world who thinks both of those actors look so weird. So the whole time <laughs> I'm watching, I'm like, why is his mouth that big why does he look like young al pacino in this scene gosh his mouth is humongous like i'm watching the movie and i'm paying attention but i've still got this like little stream in the back of my mind like sure like not even like god they're ugly it's just like they look so weird and i can't stop thinking about it um but now that i've gotten over that i might try watching it again just to like (laughs) <laughs> Make sure mm-hmm. that I'm processing the whole film. But yeah, that that's my review. Great movie, weird faces. Um, but- Interesting. <laughs> I will say I couldn't get over the degree to which the actor who plays Prince Henry looks like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> like, like if you had, if you took Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone and aged him 20 years... Like, not actually Macaulay Culkin 20 years later, but, like, aged that character. Mm. I feel like that is... And then gave him a British accent. I feel like that was the Prince Harry character. But, yeah, I I did not think that the Alex character looked as strange as I think maybe you did. <laughs> I will say, as someone who, again, didn't read the book, not for lack of trying, um, I loved this movie. I thought it was incredibly charming. I will say it took me a minute, uh, maybe, like, 20 minutes, the early on stuff where they like destroy the cake felt a little too <laughs> hallmarky to me. I was a little like, okay, what are we doing here? But once they actually sort of connect both literally and emotionally, mm-hmm. then I thought it was really lovely. I thought like the degree to which both of these two people very clearly care for each other was really charming and yeah, and kind of delightful. And Certainly, it made everything easier that both of them had access to, like, private jets or <laughs> immediate first-class ticket money to be able to, like, go go after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Find out. Find out what's going on. <laughs> if you won't take your calls, just fly across the Atlantic and go find out what's happening. Um, which, you know, is like obviously part of a sort of fairy tale romance in any way. But yeah, I thought it was really lovely. I liked a lot of the secondary characters as well. But I did mm-hmm. listen to a review. Um, I think it was on Pop Culture Happy Hour, where some of the folks who had read the book were disappointed by the degree to which a lot of those secondary folks were kind of carved out of the mm-hmm. movie. And again, like you mentioned, if they're going to cut a, I don't know what it was, 400-page book down to two hours, you have to do some of that. Mm-hmm. But did you have that sense at all, or did you feel like they did what they had to do and they did it well for what they had to do? I think they did it well for what they had to do. I still missed some of those secondary characters because Alex's friends group in particular friend and family group because one of his friend group is his his sister mm-hmm. is delightful in the book and uh, i sort of wish that we there was a way to rewrite a book with a different tense without having to rewrite the book for you to be able to enjoy yeah. it um, but but i i i thought that knowing that we weren't going to be able to build out all of these characters the writer did a good job of sort of streamlining the side characters into sort of one archetype for each mm-hmm. each character that way. So I thought that was good. I will say, and I, I might be jumping ahead to your thoughts, there is one thing about this story that really, like, bothered me from the minute I finished the book and that you know, was carried over because you couldn't have the story without it. Um, And that's the forced outing. And I know that that is just something Mm. that had to happen in this, in this story. But I always make sure people know going into either the movie or the book that there is an instance of forced outing, because I know that especially members of the queer community might be, negatively affected by having to read a forest outing so that's something that carries over into the movie if it's something that you were wondering about and you have read the book yeah and that i mean there is definitely like a there's massive invasion of privacy mm-hmm. in this film like that is and e- like even to the degree where like i don't cry a lot of tears for anyone who is a first family member or a royal family member <laughs> however like it was even enough of like a very, very private conversations and messages that were exposed publicly that it even like, even it being fictional and being two very privileged families still mm-hmm. made me uncomfortable. So I think that's a good, that's a good flag for people. It also, I don't know if this has been true for you. My DC friends or my people who work in politics or policy friends um, <laughs> have said sort of like, this was really charming. It is a wildly unrealistic perspective on how politics works uh-huh. and particularly presidential politics. Mm-hmm. But I think most people either will not notice or will not care. So, but yeah, I thought it was, and it was, I thought it was really charming that like a lot of the movie takes place in Texas and, you know, it didn't feel like a DC movie and it didn't really feel like a royal family movie. It just felt, it certainly felt like these were two very well-known people and characters Mm -hmm. but yeah i thought it still felt very relatable and charming yeah it's like the one thing that kept throwing me as someone who had read the book was that 
Alex had a UT sticker on <laughs> on his computer, but he obviously went to Georgetown. And then I was reading yeah. that they had actually aged them up so that he was in Georgetown Law, whereas in the book, he uh. was he hadn't graduated yet. So he was considering Georgetown Law, but hadn't made it out of undergrad yet or something like that. I can't remember because it's been like a million years since I read the book. Um, but I was like, I know that he goes to Georgetown. Why does he have this UT sticker? And then I was like, there he yeah. is. He's at Georgetown. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. They aged them up a little, a little yeah. bit, not, not 10 years, but just enough so that they, so that they were out of that like new adult stage right. of like emotional evolution. Yes, they were very clearly adult men mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, but yeah, it was not clear. To, I figured it was just like he'd been campaigning for his mom or something and hadn't gotten around to college. Because mm. I definitely didn't think he was 21, but I also did not realize he was in law school. That's a very helpful distinction. Thank you, Jess. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I as soon as I finished the book, or no, I didn't finish the book. As soon as I finished the movie, <laughs> I did consider giving the book another try. I may have to do it. We'll see. And I was sort of hoping, as much as I think a lot of times a good movie should not have a sequel, I very much was like, I would absolutely watch another movie of just these two people happily building a life together. And so, I mean, once the strikes end, I'm just saying, if the people behind this movie wanted to make me another one, they should feel free to do that. Or they could do what they used to do and make it a TV series. Remember, remember when they made Clueless the series and like all of those, yeah. all of those great movies suddenly had like yeah. TV shows with recurring characters and make it yeah. a sitcom. We don't care. That's true. But also there's lots of fan fiction for that. <laughs> oh, good point. Maybe this is my, my new foray into the fanfic world. We'll find out. Yeah. Depends. How are the fanfics written? Are they are they also third person present? Because I if mean, so, a lot of them are. Okay, but All right. well, some of them might wait. not be. Well, you know what? It's it sounds like I have options, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to tell people about Red, White, Royal Blue, or Stimulicon, or anything else that we've missed over the course of the last couple of months? Not that I can think of. And enjoy the movie if you can. Just you know. Don't let me make you suddenly start thinking about weird faces. Now, yeah, I actually also, that's my other option is to rewatch it and see if that character, um, Alex's character, actor, was has a weirder face than I realized. Well, it like, huh. ev- like every once in a while, he would be shot from an angle where he literally looks like Al Pacino from Serpico or something, like old school Al Pacino. And part of it is the hair. And part mm-hmm. of it is just like he has the same shape jaw and stuff. I don't know. It's right. weird. It's very weird. You know what? Whatever. We can all go rewatch it, get those streaming numbers up, and then they'll make us our sequel. Yep. They don't care. The streaming numbers don't count whether or not you're watching for the movie or for the weird faces. It's fine. Yeah. And to go back to your point about it being high profile, this is definitely the first romance adaptation that has been number one at on Amazon Prime for, like, weeks. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, like I said, those strikes need to end so we can get our sequel of them living happily ever after. That's Mm -hmm. all we want. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to ask the question that we teased 40 minutes ago about what we have been reading these last many weeks. 
All right, Jess, Jen Northington gave me like a billion books that I could read, but I have still been wondering for many weeks now, what have you been reading? What is going on in the Jessica Pride hard copy or Kindle or e-reader world? What's going on out there? I'll tell you what, there has been a lot going on, but a lot of it <laughs> leads to the question of what have you finished in the past several weeks? And, uh, yes. and that answer a is, very different question. is much shorter because I don't know how it started, but the entirety of August and the first week of September hasn't been quite as slumpy as I have had in the past, but it has been very hard to finish a book. I've started a million but there are a couple that I finished that I actually feel like talking about. And they occasionally sort of came out of nowhere. Like, you know what? I'm going to read this right now. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it was like, oh, I've been meaning to read this for so long. Or a combination. So the first book that I want to talk about is Wild Pitch by Kat Geraldo. I read it on uh, Kindle Unlimited, but you can read it on regular Kindle or on print. I don't think there's an audio, but maybe, never know. And this is a baseball book. And it is a queer, male-female, buy-for-buy, baseball teammates book that also okay. includes some kinky goodness. Like, all right. There are so many, like, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's like all of the things. So many things. So when we start the book, um, we're introduced to uh, Mateo Reyes, who is Filipino, and he's a catcher on his team. And Sierra Ramirez, who is a Latina and is the first female pitcher in the major league. Oh, Interesting. So if you've seen if you've seen the show Pitch, think about ah. that. But then think about the lead female character of Pitch being a dom. Interesting. Interesting. So they end up on the same team together. You know, they start out very much like we can't we like she's like, I don't date ballplayers. He's like, I don't date. But they develop this friendship because He's a catcher and she's a pitcher. And, oh. like, they work together a lot. Um, and then it sort of evolves from there. And Kat Geraldo herself is both Latina and Filipino. So she writes both of their characters from this perspective that is, like, I have experience with how families work and all of this stuff. Like, there's a, um, a whole se- sequence with... Uh, Mateo's niece who's having her I can't remember what it's called it's not quite a quinceanera it's like her debut and uh-huh. like food and family and friendship and all of that comes together and then of course there's all the kinky stuff so <laughs> there's so sure. much in this book I could talk about it for a million years but instead I'll just say you should read it well that sounds delightful I am essentially sold on is it and I'm, I'm. This is like a very unfair question because I'm sure you don't have it in front of you. Is it like indie published? Like it's not even on my radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's self published. Uh, Cat Geraldo okay. has written maybe like five or six books, and it's just one of those that, um, I think I came across it when I was looking for 
more sports books about Latina characters. And okay. I just, I happened upon it and it had been in my Kindle Unlimited library for like three months. And finally I was like, I'm going to read this. <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned earlier that like it was very difficult for me to figure out who exactly you were talking about when you mentioned that I had been like working my way all the way through a catalog of someone's because mm-hmm. that has been the story of my summer. So I started with Abby Jimenez, as you mentioned, and read like five of her books in a 10 or 12 day span. And then after that, I entered what I'm referring to as Trisha's Summer of Historical Romance Reading. Mm. Because I mentioned this to Jen on the last episode. I don't know if you and I have talked about this, Jess. My inclination with historical romance is that I only read it like once every two years. But Mm -hmm. when I read it, it's pretty much all I read for like the entirety of that time. Mm -hmm. So I started with Julie Garwood books and read, I don't know, a ton of those. And then I got into Lisa Kleypas, mm-hmm. and I talked a little bit about what her series on the last episode, and I n- almost never – I try not to talk about the same books two episodes in a row, <laughs> but I'm going to do it today. It's been a month. It's fine. <laughs> it's true. Uh, because I didn't talk a ton about these Lisa Kleypas books, and because since then I've finished kind of the larger series, she has these two series that build on one another. She's got the Wallflower series, that's a four-book series, and then – the Ravenel series, which is seven books, and it is sort of like the descendants are of the wallflowers are connected in. Not in all of the books, but in several of the books, you see the same people show up. And I tore through both of those series in like, I mean, it was 11 books. I read them in probably three weeks. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a period of time in July and August where I was reading almost a book a day, just kind of going through because I so love getting dropped into a universe, like a fictional universe of characters Mm -hmm. that you can just hang out in. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love a trilogy, but I feel like so many romance series are actually three books. Mm -hmm. And like, that is not enough books. I need like a series that is at least four or five books and ideally more like eight to 10 to just kind of like hang, like the Blessing series by Beverly Jenkins, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of these series and you just totally drop into. So if you are like me and you are at least open to reading historical romance and you are looking for a kind of world to drop into, I would say the Ravenel series by Lisa Kleypas is great just to read on its own. There's seven of those books. If you want to build on that, the Wallflower series of four books comes first, but Cold Hearted Rake is the first book in the Ravenel series. That wasn't my favorite in the series, but I liked it. I liked them all. It just like, and that is... That is my call out to everyone. If you have like a world of five to 15 romance books that I can just like drop into and tear through over the course of the fall, (laughs) let me know. Because once I finished, I also I recently read the Lucy score books, the ones that start with things we never got over, I think. Yeah. And those books are long. Mm -hmm. Like, like maybe could have used a little bit more editing long. (laughs) But it's like, it's probably 1,500 pages worth of book mm-hmm. um, among the three of them. And they're lovely and they're great. And it was like a great place to also sort of hang out around in for a little while. But now I'm done with them. And now I'm like, I don't I don't know what to read now. So I need, I need a book universe to hang out in. So let me know, everybody, what you've got for me. In the meantime, my recommendation for you is the Wallflower and Ravenel series by Lisa Kleypas. 
Well, I have a universe that you can hang out in that is four books, but I'm not sure if you want to hang out in that universe. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backstory on it. All right. I like a challenge. I get publicist emails from this lovely woman at Bloom Books um, about, well, I get a lot of publicist emails. Trisha knows how it is. And she sent something about a new series that had been self-published before and that Bloom had picked up to release. And I had never really thought about what the series was about before. So I'm reading this description and I'm like, wait, post-apocalyptic, which, you know, is one of my unicorns. I love a good post-apocalyptic romance. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse series? Please, I need to read all of those. So she put all four of them in a box and sent them to me. And they sat on my floor for a little while. Not a whole lot, not a whole lot of time, but enough time that every time I walked past them, I made this hmm sound. And eventually, uh-huh. for some reason, I just, I had some time and I was like, you know what? I am going to pick up the first book. So I grabbed Pestilence by Laura Thalassa, which is also written in third person. Ah, uh, <laughs> curses. But I was like all in about to like download these books. And now I have paused, paused my plans. Because my, my enemies to lover stories between me and third-person present romance. <laughs> um, but since it was in third-person present, much like Red, White, and Royal Blue, I sat down in my reading chair, and then I came up for air several hours later. Sure. So Pestilence is the first one. Like I said, it's a post-apocalyptic Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse uh, series. So the books are actually called Pestilence, War, Famine, and Death. Each one is a horseman. Sure. I haven't read the other three because they start to get longer and longer and longer. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do that. But in the first book, we meet Sarah, who is a, a okay. firefighter in Canada. And there was a prologue where the horsemen came they basically turned up, made everything stop. Electricity, light, all of that. So that's why it's a post-apocalyptic world, because they're living in this time. But then they disappeared. But now, in Sarah's lifetime, the first horseman has come back. And he's riding across Canada, spreading pestilence. Like, And basically, you get this terrible plague and die. And she has pulled the the short stick to stick around in her town and try to kill him or to, and kill him um because mm-hmm. it has not yet been revealed to the greater the greater world that the horseman cannot be killed so she waits for him to ride down the the big road that he's riding down. She shoots him with her grandfather's shotgun. She sets him on fire and she wanders off to go to sleep because that was exhausting. And then she wakes up to him pulling her out of her tent and taking her hostage. Yet another thing I never expected to be like, that's my story. I want to read a story about uh-huh. an immortal immortal unkillable 
Horseman of the Apocalypse, who takes the main, the other main character prisoner. But prisoner. But here we are. Prisoner kidnapping means forced proximity, and that's true. (laughs) They get to know each other, (laughs) and so I was just like, "How is this going to work?" That's the other thing that keeps you turning pages, though. It's like. He's a he's a horseman of the apocalypse and she is a human person. Like, A, how is their relationship supposed to work? B, how is the fact that he is actually murdering everyone in the world supposed to work? And maybe that's why I haven't moved on to war, because he literally is the arbiter of death. Well, no, death is the arbiter of death. But war is like going to be riding around making people start to fight and hate each other like building up war and i'm not sure i'm in the mood for that maybe i'll just skip to famine Mm, fair point yeah although famine also not great no i mean none of them are great but you know what if you could get on board with pestilence yeah then here it is i don't know how i was like i wasn't cool with pestilence but it was like I know that he's killing everybody, but it's a plague. Whereas, like, Mm -hmm. war... Also, war is set, like, heavily in, like, Western Asia and the Middle East and North Africa. And that kind of gives me a little bit of the ick, because that is a conflict that is presently happening. And while we are dealing with an international plague, it's not the same kind of plague. (laughs) So... So I don't know. I have no idea what draws me to these books, but they are something that rhymes with smack. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I always appreciate your recommendations, even for third person present books. And mm-hmm. I, my other book that I wanted to mention is one that you have been recommending forever and ever and ever, and that I had not actually read until recently. And that is You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke Ameze. And I know you've been talking about this book. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a grief element to it. So I kind of didn't necessarily, I wasn't sure I was ready to get into it. And uh-huh. then I wrote a piece for Book Riot that's coming out in a few weeks about romance novels that deal with grief. Uh. So I was like, I think it would be a giant gap in my reading mm-hmm. if, if I didn't at least take a look at this one. And so I did. And it is fantastic. It's a story of a young woman who's in her 20s who has lost, she's in her late 20s, she's lost her husband. And she is sort of trying to get her life back. She's trying to kind of reclaim her life after being in a situation that she did not anticipate, right? You think Mm -hmm. you're going to live the rest of your life and grow old with someone and then they're very suddenly taken from you. And so she's dating and she meets a guy who... She she likes, but it's more of like a friends with benefits kind of situation. And he turns out to have this like very wealthy chef father. And so she flies down to the island to like meet his father, hang out, be a part of an art exhibit because she's an artist. And it turns out that she has ridiculous chemistry with his dad. Mm. And things get very complicated. And I think one of the things that I really appreciated about this book is that I feel like a lot of times in romance – In order to make a romance feel authentic, authors feel like they have to make an ex or a deceased spouse have sort of like some kind of deep flaw. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't possibly have been the real love of your life because they were this, right? Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. person is the real love of your life. And I felt like this book didn't do that. It was just sort of like a... Both of these people loved their late spouses very, very much. And Mm -hmm. also, 
they can still fall for each other and fall in love again. And I think that that was a really, I think I just, been, I've been reading a lot. This is, I'm sure, a topic for another conversation. I've been reading a lot of books lately where a female main character has a physically abusive ex. Mm. And I'm a little afraid it's the Colleen Hoover effect, and I'm very much not here for it. Mm-hmm. But again, that's conversation for another time. I just very much appreciated that in this one, in You Made It Full of Death, it, it felt very much like there was a an acknowledgement that there isn't just like one faded mate, right? It's mm-hmm. people can fall in love and can fall in love again and hopefully, you know, get to grow old with somebody eventually. But yeah, it's been referred to a lot, I think, as like a literary romance. And I'm not sure how I feel about that mm-hmm. tag, but I, I can understand where it comes from. It does have a lot of prose in it, um, really beautiful extraordinary well-written. I've got all kinds of passages in this book highlighted. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked it a lot. So again, this is not the first time you will have heard about this book because Jess has talked about it a bunch, but I have finally discovered it. So maybe for someone else who's listening, it is it is your time to discover it as well. Yeah. And it's such a great book. I know there are people who have talked about it as like, I'm using air quotes, not really a romance because... A, not only does uh, Faye sleep with people before she meets her romantic love interest, but she doesn't actually meet that person for a while. And there are people who are like, they if they don't meet in the first 20 pages, then it's not really a romance. Which, valid for you. Not, uh-huh. not completely true of the entire genre as people figure out ways to play with the genre while still interpreting, while still properly interpreting the genre rules. They're still an HEA. The relationship is still at its core. It's just there's Mm -hmm. other stuff going. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we did a lot of catching up, but it took us a while to do it. I think we've kind of hit our time, Jess. Yeah, we kind of have. I mean, I was surprised that we didn't go super, super long. <laughs> Just medium long. Um, But we'll save that for the recommendation episodes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and in the meantime, everybody check out both the book and the film of The Perfect Find. Mm-hmm. I will try to figure out which streaming service it's on and put that in the show notes so you can take a look there. As always, a huge thanks to our wonderful magical audio editor, Jen Sink. You can find us on email and social media at When in Romance. You can find us at our When in Romance at bookriot.com email address. You can find me at Trisha Haley Brown. Jess, where are you? Um, I'm still on what I am going to continue to call Twitter at Jess's Reading. All one word. I will be there until I open it and nothing happens. You can find me on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading if you're on Blue Sky. Um, I'm Jess is reading all one word there as well. And you can find me on TikTok at Jess underscore is reading. So we're easy to find. If you have those recommendations and thoughts for us, send us your thoughts about the perfect find. Send me my next romance universe to fall into. (laughs) And I think that's it for us today. That is it, everyone. If you, like me, have been having some trouble getting through books, I'm sending great book vibes into your universe, and I hope for you to have happy reading time. <laughs>